new year and a new series for us here at Rotherham Evangelical Church. And we're asking this question, really, just today, um, who are we? Who are we as Rotherham Evangelical Church? I guess it's the, the time of year for, for asking that sort of question, or at least in that changeover between the old year and the new year. Who am I? Or who do I want to be? Or who do I not want to be? Maybe if you're on Facebook, you've seen some of those posts doing the rounds. This is not who I want to be this year. I don't want to make the same mistakes as last year. Or maybe people defining themselves by the sort of person they don't want to be. I'm not going to be like him or her or unknown others. But who are we? Here at Rotherham Evangelical Church, we've been going through a period of growth over the last few months. There are newcomers, people who have started attending fairly regularly. and We're really glad you're here. There are some people that have been here a little bit longer. Joan, a little bit longer. <laughs> Who are we? I wonder if you could think now what your first impression of, of this church, Rotherham Evangelical Church, was. Okay? Just, what was your first impression? Here was mine. Okay, mine, the first people I ever met from this church were, were uh, Rob Jones and uh, Mark Kong on a camp that I was doing. And then I met Ian when he came, uh, Ian Jones, our senior pastor, when he came to the camp because Ben Jones had got swine flu. So my, my, my first experience was sat really with anybody, sort of a member of the church, was sat over breakfast in the middle of deep dark Wales, chatting with Ian Jones whilst Ben was upstairs chucking his guts up. That was, that was great. That was my first experience of this church. I wonder what yours was. I wonder if now if I asked you the question... Who are we? Who are we as REC? I wonder how you would answer that. Let me ask you another question. What would your next door neighbour, or the person that you, you sit next to at work, what would they say, uh, and how would they answer the question, well, what is the church? What is the church? I don't know if I'm getting quite a bit of feedback from this. I don't know if other people, is that annoying anybody else? Okay, it's just me, fine, good. What is the, the church? What we want to do in this foundation series is, is just look at our, our core values, our core commitments, who we are. But before we start asking the question, who we are as Rotherham Evangelical Church, we want to ask that the bigger question, what is the church? How does the Bible answer that question, what is the church? I think some people might say, well, the church is a building. Some people might say the church is an old-fashioned relic from a bygone age. Some people might turn around to Ignite Plus and say, guys, what do you say the church is? Because you looked at this last term, didn't you? What is the church? Nervous faces. <laughs> so if you want all the answers I don't give you this afternoon, these guys, Ignite Plus, are the ones to go to. What is the church? Who are the church? That's the question we're going to look at this afternoon. And to get this big question, what is the church broad, wide, as the Bible describes it, before then we dig into, over the next four weeks, well, who are we as Rotherham Evangelical Church? So, the church. What will she be? So, second heading, if you've got the, the, the flyer, the, uh, the handout. The church, what will she be? 
I wonder how many of you over Christmas got a, a jigsaw puzzle for Christmas. Anybody? Anybody get a jigsaw? Come on, raise hands. Active engagement. Okay, handful. Okay. Lib, my wife, got a, a, a jigsaw puzzle for Christmas, and she basically spent every evening of our, our Christmas time away with her family to, doing this, this jigsaw of a Christmassy market scene. When you, you're doing a jigsaw, and you ask, the, you ask the question, well, what is the jigsaw? You don't point people to a whole bunch of, of random pieces in the box, or maybe on the floor or the table, wherever you put them, and go, well, it's that. You point people to the box, don't you? So this is what this jigsaw is. It's a picture of whatever your, your picture is. So in this case, uh, this Christmassy market scene. In the same way, we want to have a look at, at the end. The end product. That's why we've just read from Revelation 21. Instead of looking firstly at all the, the jigsaw pieces, the things that we've experienced, the now, we're going to look forward. What will the church be? The Bible gives us a picture. A beautifully descriptive picture of what the church will be in the end. The Bible says there will be an end. An end to this world. An end to this life as we know it. And so in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we're given a picture. Actually many pictures. God speaks to a a man called John, one of the early followers of Jesus, one of his first 12 disciples John's been banished from his his home because because he was a follower of Jesus and he's in some probably some sort of prison camp on the island of of Patmos which is sort of in the Aegean Sea between Greece and Turkey and he's given this this vision of of what is to come and it is very pictorial it's not a realistic this is exactly what it'll look like but it's using descriptive language, pictures and, and, and ideologies to say this is the, the general big plan of what God is going to do. And we just, Andrew just read that for us. And we're going to dip back down into it now to say, well, who will the church be? Let me read again from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. What will the church be? The Bible says, as we look ahead to the end of all things, there's going to be a wedding. There's going to be a great, glorious wedding. When all is said and done, and the bridegroom will be the Lamb. Who who is the Lamb? Well, if we had time, we'd dip back into, into the book of Revelation. The Lamb is the one who is found above all other people across all time and history. The one man to be found worthy of being in God's presence and representing humanity. The one, Revelation tells us, who's been given all authority and power and glory and honour for, for all time. He is Jesus. So this great wedding at the end of time, there is Jesus, the Lamb. He is the groom. Well, who is the bride? Well, we're told here she is beautifully dressed. She has been prepared for her husband. And here's where the picture gets, you know, where we know that this is not just 
a picture, but many pictures. For she is a bride and she's also a city. And it's at this point, if you're trying to draw revelation, you go, I can't do that. Because people don't look like cities. They're fundamentally different. And yet, that's the picture we're given. A great wedding, a beautiful bride, a glorious groom. And then this this bride, this woman, this city. And she is the church. She is the people of God. Who are beautiful and strong and glorious. Often we see that the church is being quite small, don't we? Maybe you've been in other churches that are much smaller than this one. Maybe you've been in other churches that are much bigger than this one. But but in the wide world, we think the church is pretty small and pretty insignificant. When we go out into our workplaces or we uh, are talking with our friends at school. To be a, a Christian, to be part of a church feels pretty small, feels pretty insignificant, feels pretty fragile. But listen to what the church will be. I'm going to skip forward to, to verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, which is the church. Its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That's about 1,400 miles. Sheffield's pretty big, but not even close. London's massive, but not even close to this. And it was as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. It was about 65 metres thick. I think we're at the time of year where as the electricity bills come through, you wish that your walls of your house were thicker and better insulated. 65 metres thick of solid gold. Pretty warm inside. I would guess. This is not a city. This is not a people. This is not a church that is small. Or fragile. It is strong. And it is certain. And she will be glorious. Look down at verse 18. If you've got your Bibles open. The wall was made of jasper. And the city of pure gold. As pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. This city will shine. Shine with gold, pure gold everywhere. And again, it's almost beyond our imaginations. But that's kind of the point. This vision that John's given of the future is to say the church is glorious beyond imagination. But it's It's not even saying, well, it's that the church will be uniform. It'll all be the same. It's just a great hodgepodge of sameness. You see that there will be beautiful gems in the walls. And then as as Andrew was reading, sorry, Andrew was a long reading. All those different stones, precious stones, all different, all unique, all beautiful. There is great diversity in the, the city, in the church. 
This glorious city is the bride of the Lamb, is the church. Now again, we want to pause here and just think and recognise we're not there yet, are we? That's not us. And that's not the church worldwide. It's not yet or it will be. Again, maybe go back to your first impressions of this church, of any other church. Maybe for some of us, there were great impressions. Great conversations, really warm welcome. Maybe for some of us, we've been to churches and just thought, is this it? Or even worse, I don't want to come back here again. Maybe with the people that have made other people think that. But the church will be glorious. I think it's good for us to stop and just acknowledge that and think, well, that's amazing. That's amazing because well, the church is full of people like me. And I don't feel glorious. I don't feel as I'm going to fit in a city of gold. I don't feel as I'm a precious jewel. Quite frankly, I feel as though I should be in the rubbish bin to be taken out tomorrow morning. But this is the church. This is the people that God is working and shaping. And this is the end result. It will be glorious and strong and secure it will be diverse and yet unified and she will be the church the bride of christ ephesians 5 i think it's going to be on the on the screen this is a passage about marriage but as Paul's talking to, to the church in Ephesus, the, he's writer of this letter, he's talking about marriage. He says marriage is like, well, it's pointing forward to something much greater and bigger. It's talking about Jesus and his love for the church. So he says, husbands, love your wives. What's the bar? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That is what Jesus has done. That is what the Lamb has done. He has taken people who are the exact opposite of that, that last list, people who are stained and wrinkled and blemished, who are utterly unholy and completely to be blamed. That they would become this glorious golden city. That is the future for the church. So having seen the, the great picture now, let's ask the question, well, well, what is the church? What is the church? Here's one definition. The church is the body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together by serving him in this world. The church is the body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together by serving him in this world. 
The Bible tells us this great story about how God is calling to himself a people. A great glorious group of people starts with one man, a man called Abraham. And God takes him from nowhere and says, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to make you out of your family a great nation, a great people together. Who will be my people. And I will be their gods. And they will be mine and they will know me and I will know them. And I will love them and they will love me. Right from the beginning it has been God's plan to save for himself a people. So how does he do it? The church. Okay, third point, her head. It's a weird way of phrasing things. What does that mean? The church's head? Well, as we've seen, the Bible presents the church, the people, now as a body. Okay? And bodies belong to heads. I don't think there's anybody here who has got a body without a head, or a head without a body. There are people without brains, but that's a different thing entirely. Listen to to another part of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you, written to a church, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Right into a church about their differences, about they've got different gifts and different opportunities, and some seem impressive and some seem less impressive. He says, You're all part of a body, and the head of whom is Christ. Or we go back to Ephesians 5, that passage you just read about marriage. It goes on to say, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church we are members of his body we need to challenge the idea at this point that church can be separated from jesus now in our culture that happens all the time people think about the church as as, as a community center something that does good things for the community that, that you can be part of a church with no beliefs, with no faith in Jesus. In fact, with that, you can be part of a church, our, our culture, maybe even some churches say, without believing in Jesus, without believing in a historical person who walked the earth. But the Bible tells us the church is intimately connected with Jesus. Actually, we did this last term, didn't we? What does it mean to be a, a Christian? It means to be joined to Jesus. United to Jesus. In him. Part of his body. So there is no church without Jesus. There is no belonging to the church unless Jesus is the head. That it's all about him. That we belong to him. The bride of the bridegroom, who is the lamb. The great heavenly wedding banquet that we talked about, that picture. What is going on there? At the end of all things, there is a great party to celebrate the union of Jesus and his people. That's why it's a wedding. That's what happens when we go to a wedding, isn't it? 
We're seeing two different people, separate people, you know, you sit on separate sides, depending on whether you know one or the other, the bride or the groom, being joined together. And the Bible tells us at the end of all things, there will be this great celebration of a union. So there can be no church without Jesus. And sadly, we're told the opposite in our wider culture. Sadly, we're told that by some people who would claim the name church. But here it is for us. There's no church without Jesus. Hold on to that thought. We'll come back to it in a couple of weeks. So the church's head is Jesus. The church, now let's consider her members or who belongs? Who belongs to the church? Who belongs to the, the bridegroom? Who is the wife? Is it anybody who walks in the door? Is it anybody who, who is born in a certain country? This country, the UK, still as the census will go out in uh, a couple of years' time. Was it it's next year, 2021? Still a, a massive chunk of people will identify as Christian. Why? Well, because they were born in the UK and we're a Christian country. Is that right? Is that what it means to be belong to the church? To be a member of the church? Well, let's look again at the Bible. Listen to Acts 20, verse 28. Here, Paul is, is talking. Paul is the, the, sort of the early church planter. He's talking to some leaders of a church that he's leaving behind. And he tells them this, he says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So he says, be shepherds, be leaders of the church of God. How is the church defined? They are the people who God bought with his own blood. Or Revelation 20. Tells us this, the chapter before. Who are those that belong? Who are those that are members? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We saw that at the end of the chapter we read, isn't it? Chapter 21, verse 27. This great, glorious city, this people, the church, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, who are they? How do we know? This book that's presumably in heaven somewhere, whose names are written into it? Those that he bought. Well, who are they? Those that he died for. Again, who are they? How do we know? And somewhat counterintuitively, this tells us that the members of the church, membership of the church, is both inclusive and exclusive. There are those that are in and those that are out. Only those whose names are written in the book of life. And yet, who did Jesus die for? Whose sins are paid for? Why is Jesus called the lamb? Because he is, the Bible tells us, lambs are sacrificial offerings to God. To take away sin. To make people right with God. Well, who did Jesus make right with God? Anybody. Anybody who, who comes to him. Pause on that thought for a second. 
Maybe this has been your experience, that you've come into a church, maybe even this church, and you've thought, I'll never be accepted here. Maybe you don't feel as though you're wearing the right clothes. Maybe you feel as though you don't know all the right language that's being used. Maybe you just feel people are are too old or too young for you. The Bible tells us Jesus welcomes all. Who does Jesus interact with? The rich and the poor. The strong and the weak. The religious and the irreligious. Jesus interacts with all types of people in all kinds of ways. Jesus welcomes all people. The worst, the weakest, the most sinful. And the future for everyone of the people that are in his church is the same, no matter where they've come from. We, as the church, will be that beautiful bride that is presented to Christ. Golden and shining and secure. But Revelation tells us not just about one woman, but but two. There is another woman described. A prostitute. An adulteress. A woman who has betrayed her true love for others. For less. A woman who has been broken beyond healing. A woman who is downtrodden. A woman who is utterly opposed to God and his ways. A woman who is crushed by her own guilt and damaged by the environment that she has been part of creating. And yet Revelation tells us that we are all that woman. We're all by default that woman who is opposed to God and to whom God is opposed and who God will defeat who will have no part in that heavenly city, in that heavenly wedding. But the beauty of the gospel, the good news, is that people can move from one side to the other. That the beautiful, golden, dazzling bride, and all those who are included in her, were once those who are Sinful and dirty and broken and rebellious and adulterous. The sort of people you look at and think, never, never. You know those sort of makeover programs that they have. And some of the candidates walk in and you just think, they have got their work cut out this week. Those sort of people, people, people like me whether outwardly or inwardly, people who are so broken will will one day be beautiful, will one day be a bride that is worthy of the Lamb, the glorious, heaven-exalted, worthy Lamb. Every member of the church is one who has seen their own sin, seen their own dirtiness, seen their own brokenness, seen their own rebellion against God, and have turned to him for grace. Have said, God, I need your mercy. I have nothing to offer. I have no rights, no claim, no goodness. And they have turned to Jesus. 
the offer of God, the righteousness from God, the new life, a new start, the new clothes, as Revelation puts it pictorially, people whose clothes are utterly stained and dirty are given robes of white. Purity, a purity that they've never had in themselves. And God's grace are included because Jesus has paid the price. We sung about it earlier. And Jesus has given them a new heart, an eternal hope. He has put his spirit within them. He's taken residence in their lives and is beginning to change their hearts and their desires and their attitudes and even their actions. Changing their lives from the inside out. That is the story of every member of the church. And it's got nothing to do with where you were born. And it's got nothing to do with how good or how bad you've been. It all depends on how you have responded to the good news of Jesus. Jesus said, I came for sinners. And every member of the church says, that's me. That's all I've got to offer. I've got no claim, no rights. I will take what you offer me, God. That is the church, her members. Now let's look at the church, her mission. This is a massive topic, but simply let me take you to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. Jesus says to his disciples and to the the, the crowd that are, are listening and watching on, he says this about his people, his Church, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hid. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This people that God has called to himself are called now to live out good lives before other people. Seeking to glorify God, to say God is good and God is enough by believing his word, by trusting in his promises, by obeying his commands and by showing off to the world, not in some way that says, look at us, aren't we good? But in a way that says, look at God, isn't even believable. Isn't grace unbelievable that God would work in people like us? And we see that if you've been, I think, in our church. We see God's glory revealed in ordinary people. Because people who by nature are utterly selfish suddenly become so selfless. Who serve joyfully. Who count the cost of loving other people. When there's nothing in it for them. And the church's mission is to show off God's goodness in us. Not in a way that anybody would look at us and go, aren't they great? But in a way that if anybody sees it truly, they will say, wow, their God is amazing. Because he takes a bunch of reprobates like this law and produces love and joy and kindness and generosity and sacrificial giving and, and so much more. The church's mission is to be a people that worship God And then gets on with his work in this world. To do the good deeds he has prepared for us to do in advance. As Ephesians 2 tells us. To the church. Her head, Jesus Christ. Her members, those who have known Christ. Who have known the saving grace of the gospel. 
and a mission who show off that gospel and that Christ to the world. That is just a brief taste of the church, of who she is, of who we are. So where are we going over the next four weeks? Put it up there. Sorry, I've completely forgot about the PowerPoint. Okay, this is, if you go on our website, if you're, well, maybe you've never been on it, here's what it says about who we are. This is our, our vision. REC, Rotherham Evangelical Church, aims to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ and help them grow into a community that reflects Jesus and his kingdom. That's our vision. That we would be a city on a hill. That as people come to Rotherham and the surrounding areas, that they will experience a people changed by grace. REC is a small part of the church. REC's future is to be part of that glorious, shining, golden, secure bride of Christ. And this is our vision. And out of our vision come four commitments. You can find these on the website as well. It's on the next slide. Four commitments. We are committed to the Bible as God's word. We are committed to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. We are committed to one another. And we are committed to share what we believe with others. That's what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. Those four Four commitments, four foundational things which, which should shape who we are, week by week, moment by moment. Four truths about who we are as we seek to be God's people in the world. Why not take a, a few, here you go, here's your homework for this week. Okay, Why not take a few minutes, go on the website or if you can't get on the website, ask somebody to, to send them, ask me to send them to you. And just have a look at those commitments. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you think, oh, hang on, what about this or what about that? Bring your questions. Either ask them to us beforehand so we can hopefully put them in the, answer them in the, in the sermon. Maybe you'll have more questions afterwards. But these are our commitments as we seek to be, live out who we are, the church. As we continue the process of becoming what we will be. Because that's always the tension, isn't it? As you look forward, as you see the picture on the jigsaw, it looks amazing. And then you look down in the box and all you can see is 10,000 little bits that don't ever seem as though they'll go together. And that's true when you look at the church. We are not yet what we will be. But we trust that God will continue to work in us, that he will finish the good work that he has started. And that's what we're working towards. And so we're pushing back into these core commitments so that we don't forget, so that we don't presume. And here's a final thought. It's easy for us to presume, assume that we are a good church. It's easy. We become used to church, don't we? We become used to our routine of what church looks like you know, we've got to set off, we're going to get there for four o'clock, we've got to set off at quarter to four or half three or, or whenever. 
And we get used to church. Oh, we'll have two songs at the start, and then there'll be something in the gap. Then we'll have another couple of songs, maybe three. Funny week, that one. And we get used to church, and we get used to people. And maybe we get used to something that isn't quite what it should be. Maybe, as we talked about Jesus being the head of the church, maybe we've slipped into an area where actually our relationships with one another are not shaped so much by Jesus. Where we don't talk to each other so much about Jesus. We talk about life and we talk about sports and we talk about things going on, family, etc. But, but maybe we've forgotten that Jesus is the head of the church. Maybe. So let's not assume, let's not presume, let's go back into our foundations. What are we committed to? I hope that's whetted your appetite. It feels as though I've built myself a, a massive task to do over the last four weeks. So I've asked Rob and Jai to come on board and, and help me. But we want to get back into this because, because the vision of who God has called us to be and what he will do in us is so great and glorious. Let's pray and then we're going to sing to close. Father, we confess that we are not yet what we will be. Father, we are not now what we ought to be, individually and corporately. But we trust. We trust that you will continue to do us good through your word, through your people, with your spirit at work. Showing us where we have fallen short. Opening our eyes to see where we have been blind. Bringing us to trust again in the saving work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we pray that we would come out of this series, Lord, more firm in these core commitments. Father, we pray that we would come out of this series more prepared to be who you've called us to be. Father, we pray, help us to engage with our hearts and with our minds, with your words and with this series. Lord, that we would do one another good as we worship you, as we seek to live out our calling. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things and for his glory. Amen.